0: Welcome to The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series from the Washington Post Brand Studio and T. Rowe Price. My name is Lynette Kalfani-Cox, and I'm also known as The Money Coach. I'm the author of the New York Times bestseller, Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom, and I'll be your host. Today's discussion features a roundtable conversation with savvy experts designed to help you make more informed financial decisions. This episode is all about estate planning, and how to make the process less intimidating. My guests today are Jeffrey Condon, author of Beyond the Grave, The Right Way and the Wrong Way of Leaving Money to Your Children and Others. I'm also joined by Roger Young, a certified financial planner at T. Rowe Price and an experienced financial advisor. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
1: Oh, thank you, Lynette and Roger. It's good to be here.
0: Roger, great to have you.
1: Good to be here. Thanks, Lynette.
0: So our goal today, as I just suggested, is to make estate planning a little less intimidating for our listeners. So let's jump right in. Jeff, please explain to our listeners the kind of basics here. What is an estate plan?
1: An estate plan has several components. It could be the living trust, the will, the insurance policy, the IRA, the 401k, the power of attorney for health care, the power of attorney for asset management, the living will, and an advanced health care directive. All of these could comprise one or more elements of a proper estate plan.
0: So Jeff, you referenced some of the components of a estate plan and you said a will, a living trust.
1: Well, those are the two main documents in America that people use to contain their inheritance instructions. They, They both say who gets what when you die. If you use a will to contain your inheritance instructions, you are essentially saying that you want those instructions carried out by the probate judge after your death. And to get a judge to do anything, there has to be court involvement. And that means filing documents with the court and paying court fees and paying an attorney to shepherd uh, your family through the probate process. But in a living trust, you're essentially saying that you want your inheritance instructions carried out by someone other than the probate judge, by a private party. And who would that private party be? Most of the time, it would be your children. In other words, you say that you want your children to carry out your inheritance instructions after your death to deliver the money and property to themselves, essentially, if they are the beneficiaries, and that avoids the time and money that is involved in carrying out the inheritance instructions that would otherwise be involved in the probate court system.
0: So, Roger, let me bring you into the conversation and ask, what are your thoughts about why people should create an estate plan?
2: Well, I think uh, Jeff has done a great job of explaining these basics and the fact that, yes, you're looking to take care of the money and you're looking to take care of the family side. My thought as a financial planner is the important thing is to make it easier for your loved ones after you die. And that includes not having to go to court and all of that. Uh, especially if you have minor children, it's very important to have a plan in place for guardianship, for example. Something that a lot of people don't think of right away, but it's it's crucial not to leave that in hands that aren't the hands you choose. Uh, second would be making sure your intentions are actually fulfilled. Uh, sometimes we think we know how things are going to go based on beneficiaries and and everything else, but unless you really have a plan, those could easily go awry. Third would be making sure less goes to the IRS or to the government. Um, but to me, honestly, that's, that's the third most important. The, the first two, making it easier and making sure your intentions are fulfilled are your top priorities for most people.
0: Jeff, is it really expensive to develop an estate plan?
2: Well, it depends on
1: what document we're using to comprise the main element of the plan. You know, a will may be a few hundred dollars but a living trust is more complex. I would say that, in general, a living trust could run somewhere between $1,000 and $5,000. Where a client would fall within that scale depends upon what that what that client's needs are and what his needs are not. You know, just like in a car, the more bells and whistles, uh, the more expensive it becomes.
0: So, Jeff, what happens then if you... Don't have an estate plan. I've heard the term intestate if you die without a will, meaning you just died without a will. And I guess the state gets to step in and decide what should happen to your stuff and potentially any minor children that you have as well. Is that correct?
1: That you, you hit the nail on the head. If you do not have any estate plan at your death, then the law tells you what your estate plan is.
0: So, Roger, when do you think is the best time to actually develop an estate plan?
2: I think when you have assets that you want to be handled in a certain way, that's an appropriate time time to do it. As I mentioned earlier, when you have small children, you need at least a plan for guardianship. Now, a lot of people, most of their assets are going to be things that would pass outside of a will. So, for example, if you have you know your house as joint property, that passes automatically. If you have a 401k where you have a beneficiary, that passes by your beneficiary. I think there are still good reasons to have an estate plan and make sure that things are handled properly. Jeff, I'm curious if you have other thoughts on those particular types of assets.
1: Well, the question becomes, uh, when does a person not need any estate plan? My rule of thumb is that if you have real estate, you should have a living trust, because the living trust is the way to ensure that title is transferred after your death to your kids without having to put your child's name on real estate, on your, on your home or other real estate, to the point where I actually have chapters in my books that say, do not put your house in joint tenancy with your kids. Instead, use a living trust, put your property in the living trust, You control and own and do whatever you want with your house during your lifetime while it's in your living trust. And after your death, it will go to your kids without probate and without having subject to any of your children's risks of loss.
0: I want to follow up on the point that Roger raised about Um, assets that will pass to your beneficiaries or heirs outside of a will. And I do think that sometimes people get confused about this. Some folks might think, I have a will. I said, I want everything to go to my spouse, for example, or to my kids. Well, if your life insurance says that you've named a different beneficiary, then that's not going to happen. It's going to go exactly where the life insurance says it should go. Or if you have a 401k or 403b plan and you've specifically designated a given beneficiary, if your will says something contrary to that, you're kind of out of luck. Isn't that correct, Jeff? uh,
1: Absolutely. Those um, those types of assets that you just referred to, insurance policies, 401Ks, 403Bs, annuities, whatever they are, IRAs, those are what we call self-executing assets, meaning that they have their own inheritance instructions on the plan themselves. So those types of assets will go to the named and designated beneficiaries without regard to any estate plan that the client may have. So if a client says, I, have, I want a living trust, I have a living trust that says, all my assets go to my kids on my death because I really just can't stand my spouse anymore. That person ought to ensure that the beneficiary of that self-executing asset is also changed to the kids. Because if uh, he doesn't, then the person who, uh, he doesn't want to get those assets will, will certainly get those assets if he has not changed that beneficiary designation.
2: Now, Jeff, it's probably worth clarifying that even if these things don't pass through the will, they still could be subject to estate tax.
1: Oh, sure, sure. And this is the money side of estate planning. Anything that a person owns at death, and and no matter how they own it, whether it's in a living trust, whether it's in joint tenancy with kids, whether it's in a 401k or an insurance policy, the IRS does not care how it's owned. They just say, if your name is on it at your death it's going to be part of your taxable estate.
0: Now, in general, for your overall estate plan, I believe you have to select an executor or some trustees for certain documents and for certain things that you'd want carried out.
1: So when it comes to the living trust, the persons who are going to carry out those inheritance instructions are your successor trustees. And so now you have to select who will be your successor trustees. And most of the time, most of the time, my clients will appoint their children, their own children, to be the successor trustees, the ones that carry out the instructions. And that makes sense because they're ultimately the beneficiaries of the estate plan anyway. Now, the question becomes, do you want to name all of your kids or should you just name one of your children? I would say that the ramification of naming just one out of many is family baggage that comes to bear to create a conflict between children that will never be fixed, and they'll be enemies forever. And that may sound like I'm being dramatic for purposes of being dramatic, but I promise you it's true.
0: So, Jeff, because the living trust is private, the family members who are named as trustees are kind of free to do what they they want to do, and obviously they should follow the parents' instructions, whereas with a will— It's a public document, and a judge, a third party, is going to make sure that the parents' wishes are enforced. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. You know, the the inheritance instructions in a living trust are legally binding. The successor trustees are legally bound to carry out those instructions. But if there's no policeman looking over their shoulder, then they're free to do whatever they want. Now, in the main, the children will look upon these instructions as the last great lesson that their parents are handing down to them. And like I said, in the main, those instructions will be carried out as prescribed. But then you have those situations where maybe they're not. And that's when you may either want to consider, A, a third party carrying out those instructions in the living trust, or B, saying, just forget it, and then having and just having those instructions put in the will, whereas you mentioned, Lynette, there is a court overseer process to absolutely 101% guarantee that the instructions will be followed.
0: So I want to ask you both, and I'll start with you, Roger, what are some of the most common issues or mistakes that people make when it comes to estate planning, and how can they be avoided?
2: I mean, I think the biggest mistake people make is, is not doing it. Um, not having a plan at all. Not having a plan at all, sure. I, I think a second one would be not reflecting the changes in your life over time, just doing it and then letting it sit on the shelf. I think that's a big problem. And third is is not understanding what you're doing. So kind of delegating it to an estate attorney and not fully understanding the ramifications of everything. Different types of accounts have different tax structures. So you might want your money to go evenly to everyone. But if you give some money in an IRA, they're going to be taxed on that later. Whereas if you're giving cash to another child, that money isn't going to be taxed. So again, you need to really work with someone to understand, is this doing what I'm hoping that it's going to do?
0: So Jeff, if someone creates the living trust, as you've suggested many people may have a need to do, they have to fund the trust, right? So I guess that might be one of the mistakes if people fail to actually fund the trust?
1: Uh, Well, that's correct. I've had a number of situations where I've prepared a living trust. We've put title of the real estate in the living trust. And of course, the point is for that real estate to avoid probate after death. But unbeknownst to me, that after the clients have done that living trust and have done that funding, they will have taken the property out of the living trust. Why? Uh, In the main, the reason usually is having uh, refinanced the property because sometimes the refinancing powers that be will require that the property be out of the living trust prior to uh, uh, that refinancing taking place. But then the property doesn't go back in it And the parents and the clients they don't know that it's not in there and then they die now what happens now we have to probate the client's will which says that all assets that are not in the living trust at death shall be allocated and transferred to the living trust after death and that's what my clients just paid me a lot of money to avoid so if there's any takeaway make sure that the real estate that you have, whether it's your house or investment real estate, business real estate that you've refinanced over the years, do a title search to make sure that that property is still in your living
2: trust.
0: So I want to turn our attention now to taxes and just ask you both for some quick tips to help folks minimize taxes. Uh, Roger, let's start with you.
2: So it's important to recognize that when we talk about taxes, there are several key types of taxes with different rules So there's ordinary income that you pay on your uh, investments during your lifetime. There's capital gains when you sell an investment. We talked a little bit about estate taxes, which doesn't affect a lot of people. And then there's also income taxes for your heirs. So since most people aren't going to pay the estate taxes, you want to think about who's paying the taxes when and at what rate. And so that might affect how you fund your lifestyle during your life and what you're going to leave as a residual to your your beneficiaries. So those are important things to think about aside from the whole estate tax issue.
1: The main thrust of all of the plans that can be done to reduce estate taxes or eliminate them is owning less at death. Because when you own less at death, then the less that you own and therefore the less the tax will be. There is a laundry list of things that I can suggest to clients that can be used to have them own less or make what they own worth less at death. But in order to do that, people have to part with wealth now, and a lot of people are not too comfortable with that
0: you're suggesting they should take some assets out of their estate right now in order to minimize taxes for their heirs and beneficiaries later.
1: That's correct. Now, just giving away the assets doesn't necessarily take that asset out of the client's taxable estate. When the client dies, that asset that was taken out is actually added back into the death inventory to, see, to, uh, to count as to what assets are in the client's uh, estate at death. So some people say, well, what good then is giving away these assets then if they're just added back into the death inventory uh, for estate tax purposes. And the response is, is that when you give away an appreciating asset, you're really giving away the future appreciation on that asset. And that future appreciation will not be included in your taxable estate on your death.
0: So Roger, if just giving away assets isn't the most effective strategy, what's an efficient asset distribution strategy that people can or should follow?
2: One thing I like to recommend is taking advantage of the annual gift exclusion. So around $14,000 per year per recipient can be given away, and that's not subject to gift taxes. Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that 14000 is not added back to your estate. Is that correct? That is
1: correct. You get both. So that annual exclusion gift does not come off your exemption amount.
0: And you can give away that 14000 currently to an unlimited number of people, Correct
2: yeah so it's a nice factor that yeah, if you have three kids and seven grandkids and you have the means to do it between you and your spouse, you know that you could give away you know ten gifts times two of you times fourteen thousand you know two hundred and eighty thousand dollars per year with no gift tax reducing your estate and that's not even including your in laws so you know, <laughs> it's, if you have that kind of of wealth and you want to move it out of your state yes there's there's a capability of of using that to to your advantage,
0: And if you have that kind of relationship with your in-laws, you might want to throw them in the mix as well, right? Why not? <laughs> They'll be happy to hear about that, I'm sure. So when should you, speaking of family, in-laws and others, when should you actually discuss your estate plan with your family?
2: So my, my first thought, and I mentioned before, guardianship is a big deal. So if you have young kids, you need a guardianship plan. That entails discussions with the people who are going to be guardians, not necessarily the kids themselves, depending on their age. But anyone you're going to name as an executor or a trustee or a power of attorney should know what you're doing. The second key I would mention is if your estate plan is going to significantly affect your kids' financial planning, then you should at least share some information. So in general, it's better to do things earlier.
0: You're saying that parents should kind of let their kids know, their adult children, this is kind of what you can expect or perhaps don't
2: expect x y or z or i think that's helpful so that they have some some basis for doing their own planning
1: i I not only think it's helpful i think it's necessary but that presumes that you have clients who are willing to have that discussion um let me give you this number in over 30 years in my experience i've had eight consultations with the kids eight which tells me (laughs) which tells me that this is not a subject that clients are comfortable talking about with their kids. Uh, now, maybe they're doing it on their own in their own way without the official type of setting that the children might find uncomfortable in the lawyer's office. But I believe, and so does Roger, that these kids, the kids should know what the estate plan is. Because when the parents die and the kids are getting this document and they see it for the first time, they're gonna be overwhelmed.
0: Okay. So let's move now, gentlemen, into a segment that we call This or That. This is the segment in the podcast where we discuss the pros and cons of any two options to a given financial challenge. And this episode's challenge has to do with the assets, the physical stuff. So, Jeff, I want to start with you. This or That? Liquidation of assets versus distribution of assets. What do you think?
1: Most of the time, a parent's main asset is their house. And if they're leaving their house to their three kids, those kids may have different agendas. Maybe one wants to live there. Maybe one wants the house sold so he can uh, you know, travel around the world. Maybe one wants the house sold so he can use his share of the sale proceeds to start a business or diminish the crushing debt that's going on in his life. I would say that if any one child wants the house, Nine times out of 10, it's bad news for that child. The house will have to be sold because there is a law, generally in most states, that says that if any beneficiary wants the property sold, he can force a sale in the court.
0: That's interesting. Roger, your comments
2: on that? I think it's worth just noting that you need to think carefully also about the stuff, the heirlooms, the things that are of sentimental value. And you you hear that those can be more contentious than the money. And so thinking about how to make sure that those get into appropriate hands, you know, possibly even before death. That that's worth thinking about instead of having those things liquidated.
0: You know, I always tell people that that's one of the biggest reasons to have at the minimum a basic will because even if somebody is younger, maybe late 30s, early 40s and they go, I don't I haven't accumulated much stuff. I don't have much on the asset side. Well, you probably have things of sentimental value, your wedding ring, that collection, the china, whatever you got from grandma. And those things actually do matter to a lot of people. So it's it's an argument for, at the very least, having that will. Let's go to another part of the podcast. It's something that we call keeping you up at night. Basically, I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation, and it's one that often brings a lot of concern to people. I just want you to respond with your perspective. The fact is death is real. So I want to ask you, Roger, how can people plan for something that they don't even want to think about?
2: You know, as planners, we sometimes talk about trying to visualize an outcome. So for example, visualizing your retirement. And you certainly don't want to visualize your death, but you can imagine that people are going to be grieving. And to me, the important thing is Do you want them grieving and then that compounded by the hassle of a poorly planned or not planned estate plan? And you can envision things going smoothly and harmoniously in the family. And that's a good picture to give yourself to to get you motivated to take care of the estate plan.
0: It is a positive sentiment to think about. I did the right things, I put things in order, I can have peace of mind and confidence in knowing that once I pass away, at least I've taken every possible step to leave things in proper order for my heirs. So Jeff, what are your thoughts about that? How can people plan for something? And like you said, not only do they not wanna talk about it, you said they didn't even wanna talk about it with their kids.
1: The last great lesson that people leave to their kids and their family is the inheritance plan. And if the inheritance plan goes sour, so too will your family's memory of you. I kid you not. I'm already starting to think about my legacy. And as part of, and the legacy meaning, what kind of memory do I want my kids and and my family to have of me? But I will tell you that a lot of people do not do their plans because they cannot face this mortality. It's As if they believe that doing their plan beckons their mortality. Of course, it's an irrational thought, but it's a prevailing one which is why most people die with no plan whatsoever. So just buck up, man up, know what's gonna happen and get it going. Because remember, if you do nothing, then the law tells you what your plan is and the law does not know what you have in mind.
0: So, gentlemen, I've got one final challenge for you. We call this one the big picture. And this is where together we really want to be encouraging to tell people how to reach a particular goal and give them strategies for achieving that goal. So today's big picture is about making that difficult time after you pass away easier for your loved ones. That's the goal. So, Roger, how do we get there?
2: I think the key is have a plan. Make sure that if you use a financial advisor, that your financial advisor is in sync with your estate attorney on that. It's actually nice to have the planner go into that first meeting with your estate attorney. Make sure that you clean things up. You know, if you have multiple 401ks all over the place, you know, trying to have things uh, somewhat consolidated. Just be thoughtful and make sure that you go through the right steps and uh, and man up as Jeff says yes
0: <laughs> and Jeff so how can we make it easier as you said people are already already going to feel overwhelmed and I'm not sure that you know looking through a 65 page living trust document is, is going to give them that much comfort
1: well this is how I want to respond to that Lynette you know, we've been talking about the living trust talking about the instructions in the living trust what can we make what can we do in the context of that living trust to make the, the client's lives easier. You've, they, they, we have to program those instructions so they do not screw up your family's relationship with each other, so they don't do harm to your family, even if it's inadvertent because this is the emotions that arise in the inheritance arena. So Lynette, you know, just once again, this is what people need to do to make their lives easier, make their families' lives easier after death, is to make sure that the plan does not do harm to their family and their family's relationships with each other.
0: Well, with that, gentlemen, I think we've brought it full circle. And just to kind of recap for our listeners, the point and the purpose of having that estate plan is really about leaving your inheritance instructions to your family members and tackling, as these two gentlemen have just outlined, both the family issues and the money issues. I want to thank my guest, Jeffrey Condon. Very much a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Oh, this was fun.
0: Roger Young, again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Lynette. And we thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us for our next episode about retirement planning for the long term. Again, I'm Lynette Calfani cox The Money Coach. If you like The Confident Wallet, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This episode of the Confident Wallet podcast series is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast episode does not provide fiduciary recommendations concerning investments or investment management. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific benefit plan or retirement investor, nor is it directed to any recipient in connection with a specific investment or investment management decision. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views expressed are at the time of the presentation and may have changed since that time. T. Rowe Price, the bighorn sheep design, and the Confident Wallet, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group, Inc., all rights reserved. The trademarks displayed throughout this podcast are the property of their respective owners. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc.